Um, one interesting thing as I'm listening to our stories about being a blessing, uh, this sermon series is supposed to be about living your life in a way that surprises other people. But what I'm hearing is that as we're starting to do these things, it's also surprising us that we are being surprised by what the Holy Spirit, by what God can do through $5, through 10 minutes, through a prayer on the internet. So I know that we're focusing on being a surprise, like living in a surprising way, but I just want to also maybe bring up in your mind that, that this way of life might be surprising to you and to who you are. Um, yeah. So I am Annie, and I am a campus minister with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I work uh, at LCSC down in Lewiston. I worked for three years here at WSU, and then I started to do chapter planting down in Lewiston, and then I am sort of chapter planting at U of I, and then I'm praying for North Idaho (laughs) State College, but it's really hard to get there, so, you know. There's grace. Uh, And so last week we started our new series. Now you all have the card to go along with it. And it is called BELLS. And BELLS stands for B, being a blessing. Blessed people bless other people. E, eating. Creating community and extending hospitality around the table. L, listening. Learning to listen to God. Uh, the other L, learning, learning from God through the Bible, and then S, Sabbath, because saved people can rest. And so by living our lives, uh, let's see if I can remember it, blessing, eating, listening, learning, and Sabbathing, we meet God in a profound way, and we meet community in a profound way, and we can do that all together as a church body. And in this way, we surprise the world, and as we're seeing, surprise ourselves. So, why bells? Why, like, was it just a cute acronym? Could we not figure out a way to say bless? What was up here? No. Bells, because bells in the church have always held a lot of meaning. Um, They have announced transitions from one time to another. And actually, for me, bells, um, they ring a huge, like, a bell bigger bigger than this, um, every time mass would start. So that for me was a signifier that the people were to come together and they were to meet God. And so bells have signified uh, weddings, funerals, specials, events, and, and mainly it said, okay, it's time to come together. It's time to meet with the Lord. And so that's why bells. Bells, this way of life, is a signifier that it's time to come together and to live life in this way. Because living our lives blessing, eating, listening, learning, and Sabbathing not only invites us to connect personally with God, but there's a huge way that it invites us to connect personally with our community in the three circles that Jamie was talking about. So our church, our friends, and like our our family, and our work. Neighbor. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. All three of those, and um, it's very exciting because the Bell Sermon series can signify, yeah, it's time to start a new thing. So living your life like this, we talked about this last week, is like a trellis, creating a trellis for your life. And if you don't know what a trellis is, neither did I. So here it is. I don't garden. <laughs> That's what this proved to me. Um, yeah, it's true. I'm only 26, and I've never gotten my hands dirty in the garden. Um, So a trellis is something that builds, that like fortifies the plants around it. So it makes it so that you can, like basically those 
roses or whatever that flower is, can grow up and bear more roses. It makes it bigger. And so when we live our lives this way, it fortifies those little pieces of wood so that we could hold more fruit, so that we could bear more fruit for the kingdom of God. This trellis, if we live our lives blessing, eating, listening, learning, and Sabbathing, we grow like more fruit in bigger area because we have more space to. So the Bell's Sermon Series is going to help you to figure out how to fortify the trellis of your spiritual life to produce more fruit in the kingdom of God. So I wanted to share with you my $5 story from last week. Um, I knew from the very get-go exactly what that $5 was going to go to. It was going to go towards food. It just was what was going to happen. Um, because I love food, and when I th- it's not shocking if you know me that a blessing it, like pretty much equals food for me. So I took that $5 and uh, one day at work, I, this girl was telling me that she was just having a horrible day. Um, lots of things were happening to her. She was even thinking of dropping out of college. And she was sitting there sick, like with a giant thing of orange juice. And I said, you need a brownie. That's what you need. <laughs> so I went and I bought her a brownie. And I came back, and she said, I don't think anyone has ever bought me a brownie. And to me, in my book, that's a tragedy. That's not okay. (laughs) Um, And so uh, I loved this activity because it was like the waves of blessing went out the door and rippled through our whole community. And it rippled all the way down to Lewiston where that girl said, this is a very special moment for me because I was having a bad day and you bought me chocolate. (laughs) So an encouragement is that I don't even think it cost $5, but that brownie really blessed someone. So again, blessing to me pretty much always equals food because food is very special to me, which is probably why I was chosen today to talk about eating. (laughs) I love food. Um, Oftentimes, I don't actually think people know how much I love food. because it's inherent that, you know, we all eat food. But I, I think about food a lot. I read cookbooks for fun. Um, I watch TV about food. I take pictures of my food. I talk about food. Okay, yeah, you get it. And um, more than once, I'm here to admit to you, I have dressed up as food. Here's a picture. It's me as a cupcake. Yeah, and I just want a disclaimer for this picture is that uh, there was no alcohol at this party. <laughs> it was my like Christian group in college and I dressed up as a cupcake but there is someone laying on the ground and she's just dancing <laughs> I promise <laughs> totally sober um, and I think my love for food actually stemmed from my family my grandmother was a fierce woman who loved to eat and loved to cook she had a lot of famous dishes, uh, ambrosia salad, lefse, we're Norwegian, um, strawberry rhubarb pie, the best prime rib you'll literally ever eat. Um, but her most famous was that she would always have biscotti on hand. Oh my gosh. And it was so good that uh, as a kid, I liked the world's hardest cookie because she made it. Like biscottis are rock hard, we have to admit it. But as a kid, I loved them because my grandmother made them really well. So uh, even though my grandma is long past, I still make biscotti and it reminds me of her and connects me to her. So after my grandmother passed away, my Aunt Kathy started to make and collect recipes from my grandma. And um, while my Aunt well, my Auntie Kathy was still alive, she taught me a lot of recipes. And one that she taught me was how to make French 
Palmiers, and I think I'm saying that wrong, but that's uh, what I also made for you today. And uh, the reason why she taught me how to make it was because it was so easy and so good, and it reminded us both of her mom and my grandmother. And so I started making them. I started making them for random Tuesday nights, for parties, to impress people. I made them for Joe when he was my boyfriend, and now he's my fiance. So they work, right? They're good cookies. And um, every time I make them, it feels like I'm connected to my family. Uh, it feels like um, a part of me is remembering my Auntie Kathy and my grandma in a way that is different than just memories because I'm using my hands and all of my senses and I'm remembering the matriarchs of my family. Um, food holds a lot of memories for me and a lot of connection for me. Um, because every time I eat the food of my family, I remember the people that grew me, that loved me, and that cared for me. Each meal in my family was like a badge of belonging. You are in this family. You eat our food. Welcome. You're here. And for me, as I learned to cook, it became something that every time I could make a recipe for someone else from my family, it was like they were in my family too. Every time you eat a bite of the world's hardest biscotti cookie from my grandma, you are an honorary Kornberg, and you are welcomed into the family. Whether you like it or not. Sorry, biscotti's gross to some people. Um, food can, in this way, food connects me to my past. It connects me to my people. It connects me to my heritage. But it also connects me to the people that are here still living, the family that I have around me. Food is a sense, uh, foods to me signifies belonging, a warm welcome to be here exactly as you are. One of my favorite things to do in this whole world is to have people over for dinner. Even though, even if we're just eating pizza, I think there's something really cool and really special about sharing a meal together. It's, uh, it's like food is the great equalizer because I eat and you eat, and so we're gonna eat together. And I think it's funny because this world, we all want to be big and strong and independent, but um, no one can surpass the need for like food, for sustenance. <laughs> and so when you come to the table, you're kind of recognizing your humanness. You're having this moment where you say, okay, I admit it, I have to eat too. I am not a robot, I am not bionic, I also eat. And in that way, it's kind of actually a vulnerable place to be. You come to the table in need, and I think sharing that need with other people is actually really kind of raw and emotional, right? Because if you have you ever not eaten for a while, you get hangry, you get upset, you come to the table and you're like, I need food, and I'm going to share that need with you guys. <laughs> and so that's why I think in Jesus' time, eating was such an uh, important task, such a special task, because who you dined with was who you chose to associate with. Eating is often painted in the Bible as a very intimate thing. And that's why Jesus starts eating with tax collectors. That's when, when he starts eating with tax collectors, sick people, and the societally lower, people start getting really upset. Because it wasn't just the proximity of Jesus to people deemed unclean. It was the fact that he chose to associate with them. He chose to be with them and make them his people by eating with them. Jesus makes family over the dinner table. Just this week, when I was down at LCSC, 
Uh, I, we studied the parable in Luke 15 where the Pharisees are super shocked and angry about who Jesus chooses to dine with. And they say, look, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus tells them two parables which share a very similar uh, theme, which is this. Hey, my family isn't complete without these people. I pursue the lost and I want them to come home. Every person is precious to God, and you, Pharisees, are invited to rejoice with me in that or continue to be angry about where I share my allegiances. And my students were shocked that Jesus would respond like this. We had a lot of conversations around whether we were going to follow Jesus in rejoicing that the lost were home or whether we were going to be angry that all of God's attention wasn't on what we deemed holy enough for God's gaze. And then, this was the first time I'd ever seen this in the parable, but we turned to what the tax collectors, the sick, the poor, and the societally lower in the room must have thought by this experience. When had they ever experienced someone telling them they were precious? When had they ever had someone tell them that they belonged? When did someone choose to eat with them? And not just any someone, but the Messiah. They had been thrown out by society, and Jesus had just said in front of all of their enemies that they belonged. These people are my family. This is what Jesus did around the table. He created space for belonging, for fellowship. He created space for the lost to be found, for families to start, and for everyone to be invited. And one of my favorite Bible study Bible stories of all time reflects this radical relationship that Jesus had with eating. And so I want to dive in together. So if you have a Bible at the table, even if it's on your phone, you can open it to Luke 19. It's the story of a man named Zacchaeus. And I'm going to read it. So if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. But just so you know, my version is NIV. Okay, the story starts like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So if you were a chief tax collector who's also wealthy, that means you were good at your job, and your job was basically stealing. So uh, not a super morally upright character, and also seen as a traitor to his own people because he's stealing from the people that he's taking money from, which is his people. So that's Zacchaeus. <laughs> and Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be a guest in the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Okay, so let's recap. One, a greedy tax collector climbs a tree to see Jesus. Weird. Two, Jesus invites himself over to that guy's house. Three, people are really upset. And four, the tax collector decides to rape, repay all of his debts and change his ways. Ding, the end. I love this story because it's so awkward and it's so, like, to the point. 
Jesus comes to your house and Zacchaeus is like, I'm paying everyone back. And I love it because um, Zacchaeus is the guy that no one is rooting for, but he extends hospitality and welcomes Jesus gladly. Jesus pretty much says, I'm coming to your house. And he says, okay, yes, that's, that's a good idea. Uh, the story's already not going the way people want because people don't want Zacchaeus to be the hero. People want, don't want Jesus to be eating with a thief and a traitor either. They don't want Zacchaeus to be the good guy. They don't want Jesus to even be there. Because it's sounding like Jesus kind of wants to be with this guy. It's sounding like maybe Jesus wants to eat with him. We've all been avoiding that guy like the plague, but what it sounds like to me is that Jesus wants to associate with him, to eat with him, to spend time around his table. So why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus eat with someone who's deemed so unworthy? Well, Jesus says it himself. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And I think something amazing happens around Zacchaeus' table because it says that Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and I have, I have cheated anyone out of anything. I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. And I just want to paint a picture in your mind of what it would be like to be someone who had been cheated sitting in that room. You're like, yes, payday. This guy's going to give me four times the amount of money he took from me. So it's a pretty intense thing. And I think it's actually, the fact that he stands up and makes this declaration, I think it's actually a signifier that something really transformational, something really deep is happening for Zacchaeus. He used to be a wealthy tax collector, a trader, a robber. And now half of his things belong to the poor and he's paying back everything he stole. So he needs a new title. And Jesus says this, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus just reinstated Zacchaeus to the family. Zacchaeus, being a tax collector and a traitor to the Jewish people, would have actually lost his title as a true son of the Jewish faith. They would no longer call him family. He was no longer heir of what was promised to the Jewish people. But Jesus says, today you're saved. You are family. And I can't imagine the joy that Zacchaeus must have felt in this moment because he's here and he is family. This is the kind of thing that Jesus did around the table. Occupations were shifted. Families were created. People were convicted. Ways were changed. Eyes were opened. And it's not a shock that after this interaction with Zacchaeus, people want to kill Jesus. This sermon series is about living a life that is surprising to the world. Jesus lives that life, and we should take note. And as Christians, many of us with tables ourselves, we have the same opportunity to do what Jesus did. And at the same time, to be transformed like, Jesus, like Zacchaeus was. Our tables, our home, even restaurant tables can be places where we share and experience the love of Jesus, where we extend a sense of belonging to others, and where we ourselves are welcomed to belong. When we eat together and when we break bread together, we share in the design that, what, uh, that God had for humans. To be in community, to be together, and to be with God.
we might not always be the ones that are inviting. We might be the ones transformed by being people who say yes to being invited to belong. But whether we are inviting or saying yes to the invitation, there's an opportunity to be transformed by the love of Jesus around the table. Jesus created family around the table. Our world, our city, even this room, is full of lost people who deserve to be around our table. Who deserve to be brought in and said, I want to associate with you. You are my people. You are my family. The world would change if we chose to eat like this. If we decided we wanted to be unlike the Pharisees, who chose to criticize and be elitist. They chose to make less room at the table, to create systems that keep others out of their houses, out of their families, and out of their homes. And Jesus chose the opposite. Jesus came to break down systems that kept others out. And to the point of death, Jesus created more space at the table. Jesus came to seek and save the lost by associating with the lost by eating with them, and we can choose to follow. So my invitation today is to create more space at your table and to go and be at others' tables. Allow people to invite you into their families. Invite people over. Invite people over you don't know that well. Maybe even take a book straight out of, take a page right out of Jesus' book and invite yourself over to someone else's house. I think we all eat Remember, that's the great equalizer. We all have to have food. So I think we should just do it together. I think we should meet in community and share the love of God. I think we should extend hospitality. And I think we should do all of these things with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the mercy of God, because it's what Jesus did. Jesus chose to create more space, to invite people in, to create families, and so can we. And I actually think we're already sitting around tables. We can do that right now. So we're going to have a potluck, and we're going to create more space in this room. We're going to create more family. We're going to welcome the people at our table gladly. So I'm going to pray for that, and I'm going to pray for our tables and the tables we have at home. Okay? Jesus, I thank you that you are the type of God who makes more space at the table. You choose to say, uh, that more are invited, even in the face of a world that says we should close and be more alone. Yeah, Jesus, I, I yeah, I'm just even shocked this, this week of realizing that you, to the point of death, invited people in, even when it killed you. God, I pray that we would be people like that, that we would wildly invite people to our table. And I pray for these tables here today that they would foster, that, that this space would foster love and care and growth and that we would be able to invite people in in this room, Jesus. And I pray for our tables at home, that they would carry that same meaning, that our tables this week would grow by one chair <laughs> and by the end of our lives, God, that we would have a metaphorical or real long table that stretches to the end of our home that says that everyone is welcome. God, I pray that for our church. I pray that for our families. I pray that for our neighbors, that they would know your love, Jesus, and that we would follow to seek and save the lost. Amen.